Well, as we saw last week, after the flood, the human and animal populations grew and scattered throughout the earth. All right, so if you haven't been with us, we've been going through the book of Genesis, and um, for a couple of weeks, we looked at Noah and the flood, the well-known universal flood and all that happened there. And as Noah and those families of his, the rest of his family came off that ark, they began to repopulate earth. And people were scattered, as we saw last week, with the table of nations all throughout the world. And as that was taking place, the, the Bible doesn't attempt to follow all those different groups. All right, and so for many uh, people scattered all here and there, all throughout the globe, uh, we don't have a whole lot of a story of what God was doing in their lives. But what we do have is the Bible follows one lineage that will ultimately lead to the Savior of all people groups, Jesus. And that's the thread that we follow through in the rest of the Bible. So there's references, as there was last week, to all the people of the world and all the people groups, all the races, all the nations that have scattered everywhere. But it's going to continue to follow now this one particular line. And chapter 12 is actually a major transition point in Genesis. Okay, if you didn't know that. In fact, a lot of uh, Bible commentaries that, that, you know, people that have devoted their lives to studying the Bible and then they write these books about the different books of the Bible. Um, that's what I spend a lot of my week reading. Um, many of these, and, and I will tell you, yes, there's a bird in the room. I keep, I keep seeing eyes dart up. Something's moving up there. Yes, it's a bird. We invited him to leave. He chose not to. And we're going to let him stay. All right? So... I hope many of you have hats. Um, we'll just have to see, see what happens. But um, any, anyhow, back to Genesis. Um, it, this transition point that happens in, the, in chapter 12, many of the commentaries actually only go up to chapter 11 because typically Bi- Bible scholars either study the primeval history, which is chapters 1 through 11, or they focus in on some of the, 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 the beginning, beginnings of the nation of Israel and how that all goes. And so they'll pick up in chapter 12 and they go from 12 to 50, okay? And so this is the big divide. It's not equal 25-25, there's 50 chapters, but it's, chapter 12 is the beginning of this next major section. And the reason that it's such a big transition point is because we're introduced to a very important person in the Old Testament, the one that would become known as the father of the people of Israel, the first of the patriarchs. My first memory of him or learning about him was as a kid with a particular song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And then you got all the hand motions, right arm, left arm, all the stuff. Right? Anybody? Anybody else know the song? We've got a few old, old church people. Let's sing it. Is that what I heard? <laughs> All right, everybody sing No, we're not going to. That's how I first learned some about Father Abraham. But before he became Abraham, which means father of nations, that's what that name Abraham means, he was simply known as Abram. Okay, same person in the Bible. He's going to get a name change. Throughout Scripture, we see at various times in Scripture, God will change someone's name. And there's a lot of significance in that. And Abram is the first of those. He's born as a man named Abram, 
But he's ultimately going to become Abraham. In fact, when we first read his name in the genealogy of chapter 11 last week, what, what Keith looked at, he's really nondescript. You may not have even recognized him as we read through that. You're like, oh, some guy named Abram. Well, who's that? I don't know. And we keep going, right? Um, and part of the reason is when you first see him in that list, in that genealogy, he's pretty nondescript. There's nothing about him that's described as, whoa, this guy's extraordinary. He has something about him that's amazing. And we have seen some of that, right? Uh, As we've been going through Genesis, when we get to Enoch, he has this description of, and Enoch walked with God. Nobody else but Enoch, he walked with God. Or when we came to Noah, right? What did it say? As soon as it introduces us to Noah, it's like he was blameless in his generation. There's some, some, some things that are described like that. But with Abram, it's just a list like everybody else. Yeah, there was Terah and Haran and Abram and just a whole list of people. And, and we like, though, we like our heroes to have these incredible backstories. But Abram doesn't seem to have any of that. He seems to be a pretty regular nomad from an ancient city called Ur in Mesopotamia. And what anthropology and archaeology has taught us is that Ur was a city of moon worshippers, okay, in the region of Chaldea. And for those of you who care about this kind of stuff, you really care about this stuff, so I'm going to mention it to you. Um, Chaldea was a portion of the Fertile Crescent. So if, if you remember back to elementary school and going through the, the, the uh, cradles of civilization and the birthplaces of, of humanity and things like that, the Fertile Crescent was one of those, those key spots, and that's where Chaldea was. There was a, a, a leader named Ur-Namu who built a three-stage ziggurat, not unlike Babel that we looked at last week, in the early 2000s BC, all right? So we're in 2022 AD, but 2000 BC, all right? So about 4,000 years ago, and it was a shrine to Nana, the god, the moon god. In fact, in Abraham's family, that list that we saw last week, many of those family names are directly tied to moon god mythology. The name Terah was from that. Sarai, who is Abram's wife, and Milcah, those were all names in basically paying homage to the moon god. All right? So as far as we can tell, Abram was a regular person, with a pagan religion, living a regular life when something out of the ordinary happened. He was chosen by God. He was called by God. Now, could he have been righteous and humble and noble and all those, you know, wonderful things? Yeah, he could have been. But it doesn't tell us any of that in Scripture. It's not written down if he was. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the the theological discussions about election and free will... Calvinism and Arminianism and all that. But it's important to recognize that God was the instigator in this relationship. All right? Abram's just minding his own business, doing his thing, worshiping the moon, when God reaches into his life. And what we will learn time and time again is that God is the faithful one even before we have faith. In fact, God is faithful even when we're unfaithful. To God. And we're not given the reason that God chose Abram. 
but it's clear that it was God's initiative. And we begin with God speaking to him. All right, so here we are, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Here's what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now this is a pretty amazing paragraph. When God begins to speak here to Abram. And the things that he says that he's going to do are amazing things. And Abram here just listens to this call from God. And, and admittedly, we only get like the highlight reel of this interaction with God. This was probably not the entire conversation. Um, and, and what we do get out of this and what we pull out of this is a, a few things. We, we know the who. We have a rough idea of the when and the where. Um, but we don't know the why and only a little of the what. All right, so first off, let's talk about the who. We've got God speaking to Abram. And what we pick up from here is that it was probably in the area of Haran. All right, here you go, Bible geeks. I've got a map for you here. All right, this may not be easy for you to see, but I at least want to get it in your head of of roughly where this is in the world, all right? So right here, we've got the Mediterranean Sea. This little island right here is Cyprus. Down here is Egypt. You might know that. Up here is Turkey. For those of you who have served in the military that we just honored today, you might know this little city right here, Baghdad. This is Iraq in this area, okay? Now, the Fertile Crescent that we talked about before, this is the Persian Gulf down here. The Fertile Crescent kind of comes up through here and then down through here and into Egypt, all right? And and the reason they call that the Fertile Crescent is because um, of the significant three rivers that provided water and irrigation to all this land, all right? So right here, you have the Tigris River, which is in Iraq today, the Euphrates River that comes along here, and then the Nile River that is down here. That's why this is all green, because it's the Nile River Valley, okay? So where Ur is, where where Abram started his life, was right here in Chaldea, in Ur, all right? And then as they moved, and we saw that last week, as they moved up, they would go through all of this area through here. This is Nineveh. That's a well-known place in the Bible. Um, It's where Jonah went. Okay, that's Assyria. And then Babylon. So Babylon's going to be important in Bible history. The Assyrians are going to be important in Bible history. But they, they head up through here and they came up to Haran, which is in actually the far eastern edge of Turkey today. And Haran is where we find our story starting here today. Now, we're going to, as we get, go on, we're going to look that he's going to move down into the land of Canaan. This is where Israel is and all this, okay? So we're going to get there. But as for now, where we're at is here in Haran. And like I said, it's right around, uh, around 2000 BC, around the time that that ziggurat was built um, down in Ur. So what is it that God says? What does he say? He says to Abram, I am going to do something amazing with your life. That's how he approaches it. That's how he he comes right out of the gate, and it's pretty big. (laughs) Hey, Abram, I'm God, and I'm going to do something amazing with your life. That's a pretty strong start. Abram just has to make the decision whether he's going to go or not. 
Because did you notice how this starts off? It starts right off when the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. Now, if that's all he said, if he just appeared and said, go from your country, Abram probably would have been like, that was weird. I'm not eating there at that place again. Like, this is crazy. But that's not it. God says go, but then he begins to say, and when you go, I'm going to do some incredible things. I'm going to do some amazing things with you. But Abram still has to make this decision to go. If he had decided not to go, our Bible would look very differently. Maybe the names would change. I don't know. What is it that Abram was called to leave behind? That's what I want us to look at here a little bit. Abram was called to leave everything he's ever known. Now, as we're going to see through the life of Abram, he was a sojourner. All right, He was always on the move. Many in this ancient population were mobile people. You might, again, remember that from history um, class, learning those things. They were mobile people, similar to the Bedouins or gypsies. Um, to this day, there are people in that part of the world that live in tents, and they kind of follow the water and the opportunities for them, and they move around just as their ancestors did. So when, when God called Abram to move from his country... It was different than what we would imagine. It's not like he was calling him to, you know, oh, I've got to leave behind my childhood home. You know, the house that I grew up in. I I don't want to leave that. Um, It it wasn't that he was attached to that or a family farm or a neighborhood or a good school district um, or a career. This call, when, when God says, Abram, I want you to go from this place, it's not about the location so much that he's leaving. He's calling him to separate himself from his family, from his friends, and from his culture that he had been raised in. That that would have had to have been a major decision. But God says, I want you to go. I want you to leave this behind. But he gives him a vision of what he's trading all of that for. So he's telling Abram, he says, I know this is big. I know that it's, it's, it's hard to make this shift. But I'm going to give you all these other things. And the things that he gives, God offers Abram some pretty heavy promises. Look look at that again in those three verses. The first thing he offers him is a legacy. He says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And in you, all the families of of the earth will be blessed. That's a serious legacy. To know, wow, I'm going to be used in a way that everyone in the whole world is blessed? That's a serious legacy. Not only that, he says, I'm going to give you fame. I'm going to make your name great in the world. Who doesn't want some of that? I don't. (laughs) Success. He says, I'm going to give you a legacy. I'm going to give you fame. And I'm going to give you success. You will be a blessing and you will be blessed. I mean, this is a pretty good, you know, life plan that's being offered here. And here's what I want you to to recognize, even before we go any further into Abram's story. God still calls people today. He still calls people today. I believe that God has a, a call on every person's life. That means God has called you, every one of you. Some people respond to that call, others reject it. But I think God calls every person. Some people build their life around God's call. Others ignore it entirely. 
Part of my role as a pastor is to try to help you discern what that call is in your life. And then even us as a church, what is God calling us as a group together to do? Because he's not just calling us to just hang out together at Salt Creek Elementary School and, you know, put Bible facts in our head. That's not the purpose. That's not why we're here. That's not the point. And when God calls us to something, it's usually calling us away from something else. Think about that one. When God calls you to something, he's often calling you away from something else. And I know that that is is how we feel a lot in our lives. Because really, we've come to a place, and I talk about this a lot, but I think it's important that we talk about it a lot. We're so busy, in order for us to do something else or go somewhere else, it usually means we have to say no to these other things. Or we have to, you know, remove those things to even make space for it. And when God puts a call on your life, a lot of times it's in a way that is, is going to drastically impact the rest of your life. He's going to do some, some deep things in you. We are limited people with limited resources. It's just the way we are. And we have to make choices. Sometimes those choices are easy. For some of you, you know, football fans, today, if your team's playing at 10 a.m., You chose to go to church instead of watch the game, or at least watch the game in real time. You probably have it recorded or something, right? Right? That may not be that big of a a choice. Um, But some, some of those choices that God makes us choose to say yes to this and no to that, some of those choices are big choices, heavy choices, deeply changing choices that affect our lives. But... Even though God still calls people today, you have to understand God always calls his people to something greater. He always calls you to something greater. You may not see it as that initially. Abram certainly didn't. He had this fairy tale idea of what God's spoken to him, but he has no idea how that's all going to come to pass. But God's always calling us to something greater. It may not be fame or success, but still greater because God calls people to faith. And that's really what we're seeing here today in Abram's life. He's called to faith, to find faith. And and let's go on now in verse 4. Here's what it says. It says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, that's his nephew, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Not only was Abram to listen to the call of God, his, now, his, his next thing was to step out in obedience. All right, back to a map real quick because I want to give you a closer detail. All right, so this is now zooming in in the area of Canaan. All right, so this is what's modern-day Israel today. Well, on this side is, is Jordan, but we got modern-day modern Israel through here. Here's Egypt again, all right, the Nile River Delta and all that. And he comes from the north, Haran, when he was up here in Turkey, And he came down into Canaan. He goes through Shechem. We're going to see Bethel and Ai. These are important um, places. He's going to put his tent right in between those two. 
Salem. We'll see he, he meets Melchizedek in, in Salem. He'll, he's also going to ultimately settle in Hebron. And then other places that you'll recognize in Abram's story in life, there's where possibly Sodom and Gomorrah were somewhere on that side of the, the Jordan River. And then another word that you'll see here today, the Negev, which is just kind of like the deserted places. All right? So he's called to step out in obedience and he's called to go toward Canaan. And this was a brave step for Abram. But I think it's interesting to note that he was confident enough that God had called him that he somehow even convinced his, his nephew to come with him. <laughs> You would think with the, the sorts of things that he'd been told so far, people would be like, Abram, you're crazy. Like, we'll see you when you come home. Like, go, do your own thing. But no, it was, it was impacting enough for Abram that he convinces Lot, his, his favorite nephew, and says, hey, come on, come with me. Like, God's gonna do something great. I'm not sure what it is, but let's go. We're gonna travel, we're gonna move, we're gonna go. And so he does. And he didn't even know where he was going. That's the thing. God tells him, I want you to go. I want you to leave your your culture behind. I want you to leave your family behind. But I'm not even going to tell you where you're going to go. Just start going. And and I'll I'll show you when you get there. So it's a big step. A big step of obedience. And here's for us what we get out of this. When God calls us, our best response is obedience. All right? You may know that in your head, but it's not always easy. It it is our best response. Abram obeyed even though he didn't know all the details. He had a promise with no precedent. He didn't have a Bible to look back at and say, oh yeah, God calls people all the time. And I can trust in God's faithfulness and goodness. He had none of that. Nothing. No precedent. He just had to step out. We have the privilege of having the, the promises of God along with thousands of years of history and testimonies behind them. He had none of it. But this is one of the ways that God builds our faith as we follow him. Because rarely does God give us the whole itinerary. Some of you, I know when you travel, that's how you are. You want the list. You want to know what time your flight is supposed to leave. You want to know who's picking you up from the airport. You want to know uh, what meal you're eating on the first night of where you land and where you get. You've probably already looked at the menu. You have a good idea of what you're going to order at that meal. And then from there, you know where you're going to be, at which hotel, at what time you're checking in, what time you're checking out, what time you want to set the alarm clock to get everybody else out of bed to go do the things you're going to do, right? Some of you are that way. Well, God rarely functions. He may have that schedule in his head, which I'm sure he does, but he rarely functions that way for us. That's not usually the way it is. Most often, what God does is he just gives you the next step. Just the next step. He says, all right, you're going to follow me. Awesome. Now I want you to just do this. Take this step. And then when you get to that step, then it's all right. Now here's this step and this step. He shows us the next one. But for Abram, he just told him, go. Take the next step. It might take courage, but God is faithful. And something incredible might just happen on the way, and that's what we see in verse seven. Because in verse seven, it says, as he's now headed through, he's he's wandering through Canaan. In verse seven, it says, "Then the Lord appeared to Abram." Notice the difference here. He's spoken to Abram before, but now he actually shows up. He appears. This is an amazing thing. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land, the place that Abram had had wandered to. So he built there an altar to the Lord 
who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. In, in this section, verses 7 to 9, what we see is we see some worship in the middle of the wandering. Notice that God didn't appear to Abram until he'd already obeyed. I think that's significant. We, we want to see God first. We want to know what he's going to do. We want to see the itinerary. We want to follow after him. But he, we want him to show up first. And then we'll decide, all right, now I'm going to obey. But oftentimes that's not the way God does it. What God calls us to first is obey first, take the next step, and then I'll move in ways that you need me to move. And, and I think, though, that when he did that, that, that that appearance cemented Abram's belief in God, and it resulted in worship. This is the first place where we see Abram building an altar. And, and it's here that he now calls on the name of the Lord in verse 8. This is a reference to worship. He's, he's had some amount of faith and trust to, to obey God, but now it's moving to a different place, not just of obedience, but a place of actual worship. Abram still hadn't arrived where he was going. Because notice what God said. He said, I'm going to give your offspring this land. Well, Abram didn't have any offspring. You might wonder, well, why didn't he just stop right there if that's where he's supposed to be? Because Abram knew, I'm not, I'm not here yet. I, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not done. In fact, Abram would continue to wander for years. But during those years, he would become a worshiper of God. So what started as simple obedience grew into faith. It grew into faith. And, I, and I've seen that, that pattern in my own life. Um, you know, when I first gave my heart to Jesus as a little kid, praying a prayer, um, it was genuine. I think it was a genuine prayer, but, but I wasn't like a man of faith at that point. I, I barely knew what I was committing to, who this God was. I knew he was the God of my parents, but that's all I knew. My faith is still growing, but as I look back, I can see evidence of faith in my life. Isn't that how it is for most of you? A lot of times we don't even see our faith. We don't even see where God has gotten us until after we've gone through some of these places and then we look back and say, oh, this is what God was doing. This is how it was important in my life. And many of us are conditioned to see our own failures and weaknesses. We're usually pretty good at that. Oh, I can point out all the places that I blew it. But can you see your faith? Can you see the, the growth that's happened in your life? Can you see the fruit of God working in your life? It's important to look at, and it's very encouraging when you actually see a couple little things here and there. Because you understand, okay, if God's at work in my life, then I can trust him and keep moving forward. Hebrews um, chapter 11, verse 8 to 10 describes Abram. Um, of course, by his full name, Abraham, which he's going to become, says here in, in Hebrews eleven eight, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. 
By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. That'd be his son and grandson. Heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. As people of faith, we also will wander in this life looking forward to the city of God, looking forward to what God's ultimately going to do. I don't know at this point in Abram's life, I don't know if he would have described himself as a man of faith. He's now a worshiper of God, no longer worshiping the moon God. Now he's worshiping God. But I don't think, I don't know if he would know that or not. But as he followed and worshiped God, it became clear. He had become a man of faith. And we'll see that as as the story goes on. And when we gather to worship, when we set aside alone time to worship, our worship is an act of faith. You may not realize that, but, but worshiping, entering into a place of worship where you're exalting God and you're declaring who God is, that's actually an act of faith. Because you're saying, I don't understand all that there is to know about you, but I still give you glory, I still give you honor, I still give you worship. And, and that's not a, a declaration that we've completed our journey. You know, I worship you now because I'm so perfect in my faith. That's not what's going on. It's not that we figured everything out, um, but it's still a, a declaration that we're on that journey. And we're about to see that there's a, a plenty for Abram to learn. We, but as we, we reorient our lives to turn to God and to trust him with our present and our future, we're expressing faith. And this is what I mean by um, there's plenty for Abram to learn. Look at verses 10 to 13 with me. Genesis 12, verse 10. It says, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. All right, so if you thought that, oh, Abraham built an altar, he's such a righteous, faithful guy, he's got it all figured out, he completely trusts in God for his salvation and deliverance, well, he just proved that to be wrong. (laughs) Um, This is just a free bit of marriage counseling for any of you who are married or may be married in the future. That's a bad idea. (laughs) What, what he does right here. He may have found faith, but he certainly had some things to learn. And Abram was leaning here on his own resources, and it got him into trouble. And we will still have those stupid moments too, even as people of faith, people that are trying to walk with God, people that have claimed that we, we love Jesus and we want to know him and follow him with our lives. We're still gonna have these mess-ups. That, that's part of it. It's, it's the way it is. People of faith stumble and fall. It doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It means that there's room to grow. And that's what we're going we're gonna to see here as, as time goes on in the life of Abram. So in verse 14, it says, when Abram entered Egypt, 
the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. So he wasn't wrong. <laughs> this wasn't, he wasn't just blinded by love, right? It, truly, Sarah is a beautiful woman. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Now, here's what I want you to see about this. Um, as we, as we will learn in Genesis 20, by the way, um, Sarai was indeed Abram's sister. Now, she was a half-sister, so it was only kind of a half-truth. Um, they shared the same father, but different mothers, all right? Um, but out of fear for his own life, Abram let Sarai get taken into Pharaoh's house as a wife. Now, to give him the benefit of the doubt, I don't think that's how Abram thought it was going to work out. I thought what he was probably imagining in his head was, okay, we're going to get to this new land. We're just going to wait out the drought. Everybody's going to see you. They're going to, there's going to be these suitors. These people are going to come try to marry you. I'll find some way to stall. I'll tell them she's not ready to get married yet. We'll work this out and we'll kind of just, you know, stick around for a little while. And then boom, once the drought's over, we'll be gone in the night. Nobody will know. It won't be a problem. He didn't know, oh, you're actually going to catch the eye of Pharaoh, <laughs> the king of the land. And Pharaoh is not used to anyone telling him no for anything. So that's probably exact, not exactly how he, he saw it. And so, because of the stupid thing that Abram did, Sarai is then taken into Pharaoh's house. Abram's faith is growing, but he's still not at a place where he believes that God's promise will be fulfilled no matter what. Now, if you, if you study um, ancient Egyptian culture, you'll also know that they're very religious people, all right? And they were either spiritually sensitive enough or superstitious enough to recognize that these plagues were connected to Sarai and Abraham and God, all right? And because of that, Pharaoh sends them away with all their possessions. Basically, he just washes his hand of the matter, Somehow, we don't know how, it's, it's hidden from us, it's not, it's not written down. Somehow, Pharaoh and Pharaoh's household realizes all these weird things that are happening, it, it, something's going on here in the house. And as they take inventory and they're figuring out, this happened about that day that we brought in, you know, that, that woman Sarai, and uh, let's talk to her. You know, hey, who are you? Where are you from? Moon God, hmm, we got to talk about this. Is that what's happening? Somehow they figured it out and they realized this is what's happening. And Sarai maybe says, yeah, it's my stupid brother slash husband who told you I was his sister. And well, I don't know. I'm not sure what happened. But either way, Pharaoh's like, I'm not messing with this at all. Like you, here, I gave you all those gifts as a wedding gift. Take them, take it all. Just get out of here. Take your wife and go. Now, as we see in verse 20, it says, and Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This was God at work 
in preserving Abram and his household. Can you imagine how they must have felt when they're leaving the borders of Egypt? I mean, Abram felt like an idiot, no question. (laughs) But asking those questions, how did we escape? This had to be God. You don't just march into Pharaoh's palace and get rich on the way out. This had to be God. This almost deadly situation ultimately resulted in Abram's financial situation go from good to great. And more importantly, it allowed his face to grow. Because he realized in this situation where it's like, okay, all is lost. All is hopeless. I've lost my wife. I might lose my life. There's no way I'm getting out of this. God intervenes. And it allowed him to then grow in his faith. Here's, here's, the, here's where we finish here today, guys. Difficult seasons of life can be really discouraging. Nobody wants to go through hard times. No one. But God has a way of redeeming everything. And I don't know what all the different things are that you guys are going through in your lives. But God has a way of redeeming everything. And I think when we look at a story like this, we're reminded not to give up. Not to just throw in the towel, but instead to trust in him. And look to him to bring us through, especially when you don't have the strength to go any further. And what you'll find is that God has not forgotten you. He's not forsaken you. And through it, your faith can grow. You know, I often refer back to several years ago when I burned out in ministry. And the the mental and emotional toll that 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 took on me in my life. And I refer to it because it deeply wounded me, but it also shaped me and it shaped my faith. And I, even though I would not wish those days on anyone, and I sure don't want to go back to those days, I still can respect those times because I know that God used those things to transform me and to change me. And I can look back on it and see how my faith developed as he led me through it. And it's hard when we're in the middle of the the dark place. It's hard to see that. But trust that God will take you through it. Trust that God will lead you through it. And he will do what he does. So to, to recap this today, if you want to find faith or grow in your faith, what do we learn from Abram? I'm going to read them back to you. Here's the five points that we looked at today. You listen to the call. You step out in obedience. You worship through the wandering. You watch God work, and you let faith grow. That's how we find faith. That's how we grow in our faith, over and over and over. That's how the cycle functions. Pray with me. God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life of Abram, and I thank you for the faith that you birthed in him. And God, I know that today you have a call on our lives as well. And you desire to grow our faith. And so God, as we come to you today and as we worship you today, as we express our faith, Lord, there may be some here today that don't know you, that are just learning about you, that are still confused about how this all works. I I believe that maybe they've heard the call well enough to show up into this room here today. 
And God, wherever they are at, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts and their lives. And Lord, as you call them, allow them to step out in obedience. And for many of the others of us here today, we may find ourselves in a really sticky situation, a difficult situation. It might be relational. It might be financial. There's there's so many discouraging moments that can come up in our lives. It might be a loneliness, an emptiness that we're feeling. It could be health things that we're struggling with. There's so many things. But God, I pray that no matter where we find ourselves here today, God, I I pray that you would remind us that you're near, that you would remind us that you want to grow and develop us. You want to bring us to yourself. You want us to learn to be able to lean on you and trust in you. You want us to become people of great faith. So teach us, God, as we look to these scriptures and we look to the other people of faith that have gone before us and may that encourage us to grow in our faith. And Lord, not only our own faith, Lord, but as we grow in faith, God, may we step out in obedience in loving others, people outside of this community, people that need to know you, that need a little help recognizing the call that you have on their lives. And I pray, God, that you would just do a mighty thing in this neighborhood that surrounds this school that you would draw people to yourself, Lord, and that we could be people that get to participate in the work that you're doing, that we would love people into your kingdom, that they would see the truth in you and who you are. So guide us in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.